The reading for today is Genesis 25:19 through 34. These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife Rebekah conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red. All his body was like a hairy mantle, so they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff, for I am famished. Therefore, he was called Edom. Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is my birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold him his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank, and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The word of the Lord. Birth, right, birthright, I'm about to die. If it's to be this way, why do I live? Why do I live? This story, like most of the narratives in our Holy Scriptures, is the dream of our mother, This dream records the most elemental existential struggles of her two natures. And of course, she records it so we might reflect upon maybe the struggle within ourselves or our family or community, tribe, culture, our country. But this is a Kierkegaardian dialectic, not Hegelian. This is thesis-antithesis with no synthesis. 
It is this waxing and waning of the two natures which paint the mystery of our past and lay the roadbed of our future. The text starts out, These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. But in the same way that Abraham's narratives recount Sarah's dreams, the narratives of Isaac recount Rebekah's dreams. And as we've mentioned before here in this esteemed pulpit, our holy book presents itself as the story of a patriarchal dynasty, but contained in the biblical subconscious, which drives it is the underlying narratives of the matriarchs, the dreams of our mothers, which when brought to the surface present to us the questions that give us life. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. Again, let me just comment, and I don't mean to interrupt the natural flow that I think you're sensing. Let me just interrupt and say that we must remember when the scripture says Isaac, we must remember that there is no Isaac. It's all Rebecca. I think Freud reminds us in the interpretation of dreams that every character in our dreams is us. So in this dream of Rebecca's, she is Isaac as well. So when the scriptures tell us as Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, it is, of course, an aspect of Rebecca who prays to the Lord, Rebecca who appeals to God. Anyway, in the story, Isaac prays to the Lord for his wife because she is barren barren. Barren. You don't need to have much familiarity with Freud or Jung or the ancient rabbis to pick up on this. Maybe only just one semester of English lit would do for you to understand what barren might mean. That barren, among other things, points to a psychological, emotional, spiritual, and physical inability to create, to harness the energy necessary to give life, to live life, to make life. Barren, barren, the inability to access love, which is the essence of that energy which makes life. Anyway, in the dream of our mother, Rebecca, somehow has some insight, some insight or in some act of self-nurture, she appeals to the Lord. She brings before God her barrenness. Have you ever been in a state of depression that's so deep and so dark that everything is dull numb, blank. I mean, you feel like you can't even pull back the covers on your bed and get out of bed and stand up, let alone to reach up in vulnerability to God. But miraculously, miraculously, most of the time, there is some voice within it that reaches up 
And that is the beginning of pulling ourselves out of the dullness and the numbness of depression, the barrenness. The Lord hears her prayer, and Rebecca conceived, it said. She conceived. What did she conceive of? Conception. Conception, conception is the beginning of redemption. And again, I don't want your... I want to just caution you that uh, not to read redemption as the resolution of tension because there is no tension in barrenness, in depression. There is only dullness. So when Rebecca conceived and began that redemption, she opened herself up to the inevitable tension that comes with feeling, with accessing the energy that brings life. Rebecca conceived, and the children together within her struggled. Within her, she is alive again. She is capable of conceiving of life again, capable of creation. And it hurts. These two children are struggling within her. It's painful, the struggle, and she cries out, if it's going to be this way, why do I live? She moves from numbness to pain. So again, she goes to the Lord, and this time is the Rebecca character. She goes to the Lord to inquire, it says. And she says, what the hell? This hurts. And the Lord says to her, there are two nations in your womb, two nations inside of you. And the people to you, will, these people will be born and they shall be divided and one shall be stronger than the other and the elder shall serve the younger. There are two nations within you. There are two natures within you which pull at each other, attempt to pull away from each other or come together and attempt to dominate or subdue each other. And let us not think of these two natures as some kind of classic dualism like the spirit and the flesh disconnected. Let's, let's, let's not think good and evil. Let's not think the good kid and the bad kid, the good boy and the bad boy. Let's not think of the devil on one side, the shoulder, and the angel on the other. These two natures, these two nations are different impulses. And while the dominance of one over another is not judged, there are differing consequences or outcomes or implications. When the time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. And the first one came out red, red and hairy like a beast, an animal, an animal, animal, Esau. And the second came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel, gripping, Jacob gripping Esau's heel, showing a connection 
between the two brothers, a real and visual, visceral connection between the two nations, the two natures of Rebecca's self. If I can use the word self without qualification. They enter into the world, take their first breath, inextricably linked, in spite of their differences. But while Jacob's grip on Esau's heel communicates connection between the two, we also can remember that the heel is the mythical point of vulnerability. The Achilles heel in Greek mythology and what is known in the Moldavian folk literature as the basement window left open. So first we see Rebecca's beast, a red and hairy beast. But the beast is not unchecked. Jacob has a grip on his point of vulnerability. The animal itself has a point of vulnerability. What is the point of vulnerability? of a beast. The dream continues as the boys grow up. Esau is a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. We see the contrasts. Esau is a man of the field. He goes out. He goes out and he, he uh, tracks game. He hunts, he sleeps on the ground, head on a rock, looking up at the stars, facing God and all the world with profound openness, showing his belly to the sky. Jacob lives in tents, which we can read both as a continued existence or dwelling in the womb, a sort of prolonged state of being nurtured, a seeking of things within, some sort of reluctance maybe to step out, to separate, to individuate. While a man of the field and living in tents are clear parallels, I think it's a bit curious that skillful hunter's parallel is quiet man. Esau was a skillful hunter, Jacob was a quiet man. In what way is a quiet man the opposite of a skillful hunter? Is he a thinker? Is that what it means to communicate? Is he peaceful? Is it kind of a Buddha kind of sitting and being quiet? As opposed to Esau's moving, pursuing, hunting? Whenever I hear this story, and it's not my dream, but in my mind, I see Jacob in that tent, and Rebecca is always behind him, a little off behind him, just over his shoulder. And is she like handing him a book, nurturing, educating, caretaking, hovering? Smothering. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game. That's what the text says. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of meat. He loved meat. Isaac loved meat. 
Isaac loved meat, and Esau was a hunter and brought him meat. This issue has come up before in our Holy Scriptures. Two brothers, God loves meat. God loves meat more than vegetables. God loves meat. How have I not seen that bumper sticker before? God loves meat. So God loves meat anyway, and uh, this leads to complications, struggles. One impulse of our mother's nature killing the other. But the scripture says Jacob loved, Rebecca loved Jacob. Isaac loved Esau because he loved meat. He loved the red, bloody meat. He loved the red, hairy beast. Rebecca loved the quiet man, the tent-dwelling man. With his hand quietly, firmly gripping his brother's point of vulnerability. Again, I probably don't need to remind you, but this is our mother's dream in which all the characters are her. It's not like dad likes the tough guy and mom likes the bookish sensitive one. This is not a gender thing, these are our aspects of Rebecca's aliveness. The story goes on. One day, Jacob's cooking stew, and Esau comes in from the field, and he is famished. Famished. He says he's hungry. He says to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff, for I am famished. Red stuff, my translation says. Red like him, red like blood, like life. Jacob says, first sell me your birthright. And he says, I'm about to die. I'm about to die. What good is my birthright? I'm so... Birthright. I'm about to die. This expression brings us back to the beginning, to Rebecca's existential question at the beginning when she says to God, if this is the way life is going to be, why should I live? I cannot satisfy my hunger now. If I cannot satisfy my hunger now, what is the point of living is there no resolution, no satisfaction, no absolution, no absolute knowing? Why do I live if this is all that life is? When I looked at all the various children's versions, stories, children's Bible stories about this narrative, they have all kinds of focuses. It usually comes down to these two brothers making choices. One makes a healthy choice and one makes an unhealthy choice. But it's always the thing that I think the problem with these, when I look at these stories here, is it's always like, It's always about 
these two boys. It's always about these two boys, and it's not about Rebecca. It's like, are they not reading the same book? Sometimes they mention Isaac, but Rebecca is more like sitting there like some 50s mom with her, you know, her pleated skirt and her knees together and her hands in her lap, kind of giving an understanding, supportive smile. You know, we read these children's books and they just see like on all these different stories and we feel like, oh, what they do to God or how they make God to be some, you know, either this man in the sky with a beard and stuff like that. But I think the real problem with these children's stories is not how they depict God, but how they depict mothers sitting there, just sitting there with these understanding smiles with no agency, stripped of all agency, of ferocity, stripped of that, that kind of passion that is capable of getting out of control. That desire that is at the heart of the creation of life. That frightening power that a mother is. That desire born of love. And when these books limit our understanding of our mother, they limit our understanding of God. Esau's famished. Esau's hungry. He's hungry for the red stuff. Like his father, like his God. He wants blood because blood is life. It's the life force. It's the viscous love pumping through us. And Rebecca, like our mother, has the power to give life. She bleeds with the moon to remind us that she has the power to make life. And Esau, he trades his birthright to Jacob because he's famished. So Jacob feeds Esau. Jacob feeds his brother. The quiet one feeds the hunter. The tent dweller prepares lentil stew for the man of the field. Esau's hunger is satisfied. But Jacob, Jacob does not eat. Jacob nurtures his hunger. With his hand on Esau's heel, he knows the beast's Achilles' heel, the beast's point of vulnerability. When the beast is hungry, he eats. The animal does not plan ahead or think better of resisting his passions. When the animal's hungry, the animal eats. But Jacob nurtures his hunger. He works it into an empire. What about you? Are you hungry? Do you want to eat?